Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Listening to the best of mornings with Carmen on listener supported Faith Radio. I'm your producer, Paul Perot. Yeah, I told her, yeah, we will be doing regular shows. Let's just play some of the best conversations of the past year because actually she's getting ready for a big event tomorrow night on our Facebook page, the uh, Faith Radio Facebook page and YouTube channels. It's her uh, live stream event. That's called Hope for, uh, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. Hope you tune in for that tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. It's for two hours, 7 o'clock Central. All the information at life, or rather at uh, MyFaithRadio.com. Having one of those days, I think I need more coffee. Anyway, uh, hey, coming up, some great conversations from this past year. We'll get to one with, uh, with oh, I tell you, it was, a, it was a, an important conversation we had with uh, uh, K.J. Ramsey. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But as Carmen often does when she starts out the show, where in the word are you? Well, today, thanks to Spurgeon again, I'm moving around and I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. Spurgeon focusing on the phrase in there, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And here's what he wrote about it. Again, Spurgeon just had a way with words. Look at David's Lord and Master. Consider his beginning. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Then look at the end. He sits at his father's right hand, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. As he is, so we are also in this world. You must bear the cross or you will never wear the crown. You must wade through the water or you will never walk the golden pavement. Cheer up then, poor Christian. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. View the creeping worm, how contemptible its appearance. It is the beginning of a thing. Mark that insect with gorgeous wings, playing in the sunbeams, sipping on at the flowers, full of happiness and life. That is the worm's end. You are that caterpillar, wrapped up in a chrysalis of death. But when Christ appears, you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. Be content to be like him, a worm and no man, that like him... You may be satisfied when you wake up in his likeness. The rough-looking diamond is put upon the wheel of the gemsmith. He cuts it with uh, cuts. He pardon me. He cuts it on all sides. It loses much, much that seemed costly to itself. The king is crowned. The diadem is put upon the monarch's head, accompanied by the trumpet's joyful sound. A glittering ray flashes from that corner, and it beams from that same diamond that was so recently fashioned at the wheel. You may venture to compare yourself to such a diamond, for you are one of God's people. And this is the time of that cutting process. Let faith and patience have their perfect work. For in the day when the crown is set upon the head of the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, one ray of glory shall stream from you. 
They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured, um, yeah, when I make up my treasured possession. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Actually, a lot of people are just kind of thankful. Better is the end of 2020. We're close to that. And I think we're done with the word unprecedented. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> enough of that word. It has been a hard year. But, you know, there are actually some signs of hope with, you know, the vaccines that are coming out and such. But for many, COVID is far from their top concern right now as we're winding down 2020. They're dealing with chronic health issues or mental health issues that have no cure or effective relief. And you're wondering, where is God in those situations? Well, again, one of our conversations this past year, a really good one, was with K.J. Ramsey. She's a psychologist, but she also suffers with chronic health issues. She'll talk about that and how she's finding hope, how she's holding on to the hope that Spurgeon was talking about. She has a book out called This Too Shall Last. We're going to hear that conversation in just a few moments as this Best of Mornings with Carmen continues here on Faith Radio. KJ Ramsey, uh, I want you to visit her online at kjramsey.com and across social media at KJ Ramsey Writes. Um, KJ is a therapist. She is uh, a writer. She describes herself as a recovering idealist. She's also the author of a new book, This Too Shall Last Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. KJ, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be with you, Carmen. So the book uh, is now out. You and I uh, spoke last um, in, in the lead up to its release. Um, I'm curious to know, as as people who have experienced chronic illness and, and long-term suffering have engaged with this material, what um, tell us a story about something you've heard. Ooh, that is a great question. Yeah, I there have been a lot of stories, and it's been so encouraging. I think the... The words that I have been most encouraged by from readers is just that the book has named for them what they've been experiencing but didn't have words for, and that it's it's making it more possible for them to share their experience with their family or their friends in a way that actually brings connection instead of more disappointment. So that's more of a across the board, there's been a lot of encouraging words like that that's it's really meant a lot to me. So um, for folks who are not familiar with your story, um, can you just share with them? I mean, you've you've experienced chronic illness. Um, and when this conversation, I think, started, you, like the rest of us, um, were thinking that you would get over it, that there would be an uh, there would be an antidote, that the suffering <clears throat> would end. Um, and you learned something very different along the way. Right. Yeah, so I live with ankylosing spondylitis, AS, a autoimmune disease, and I've had it for 11 years. And like you said, Carmen, when I first got sick, I was 20 years old and it came out of nowhere. And I think like most of us, when something 
descends into our life like that, you you think that it's going to be short term and you pray for rescue and healing and relief. And and for me, that has not been the case, although there's been times that are better than others. But in those 11 years, I, I haven't had one day without physical pain. But I have found that it's in my pain and having to care for my body as it is now that I most can experience Jesus as with me. And, and I don't know if I would have discovered that any other way. The book is this too shall last finding grace when suffering lingers. KJ, um, if you could talk right now to a listener who is experiencing the, the kind of depressive isolation that comes with, uh, with long-term suffering, what's the, What's the invitation to that individual in terms of opening themselves to the presence of God? So the invitation to you who are are in the midst of despair, darkness, because of suffering that just doesn't seem to go away, is that God sees you and accepts you right where you are, that you don't have to lift yourself out of this cloud in order to be worthy of his love again. Uh, that because our God went to the absolute lengths of death and, and life and pain in a real body, where you are is not outside of his reach. And if if you could let yourself look to him from where you are, it the the light will be there. Um, where you are is okay. That's where I would start. Starting where you are, I think that's um that, that's one of the huge lessons um, of this book, right? That I can't start from a place that I am not. Um, and I can't will myself or wish myself to be somewhere I am not. The opening chapter um, of the book, and again, the book is This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. Um, KJ, the opening chapter is, you know, is about dissonance. It's this, uh, the subhead, the clash of suffering in a crescendo culture. Um, we do not have a category in our culture for those who suffer long. <laughs> no, we don't. We do not. And it, and it causes so much shame and confusion when you do. Because when you suffer and it doesn't go away, and in a culture where we believe we can fix everything with just enough effort or money, you think that there is something deeply wrong with you. And, and that's not just broader American culture. That's evangelical Christian culture as well. So I believe it's incredibly important to name the suffering that stays so that we can start to see that perhaps it's not our fault <laughs> and and perhaps there is a way forward with it along that it goes with us. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We don't have categories and it's to our absolute detriment. I am talking with author, writer, and therapist K.J. Ramsey. The book is This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. I want to encourage you to connect with K.J. 
via her website. It's a little bit of a one-stop shop there, kjramsey.com. Um, you can uh, you can sign up there for uh, a, a newsletter. You can um, begin listening to her podcast. KJ and I will be right back. conversation with KJ Ramsey. Her book is This Too Shall Last. Um, KJ, I'm going to ask this this question. I'm sh- I, I'm confident it's one you've heard before. What if the church treated suffering like a story to tell rather than a secret to keep or something that we, you know, actively try to pray away? Mm-hmm. Thank you for giving me my own question. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What if, and what if we could share our weaknesses? What if we believed, like Paul, that weakness is where Christ's power really is perfected? And so it's where we will see Jesus. What if we looked to the people around us who are struggling and hurting and stumbling and thought, this is where I will see God? I think everything would change. I think that we would be amazed by the love that meets us. And I think we would be connected to each other in a way that would heal our world. Um, I could go on and on, but there, there's so much possibility in the posture of bearing witness to each other's weakness rather than treating it only like a problem to solve. So it feels like um, because we have made an idol of health and wealth, um, we don't know how to honestly engage the reality of children who are born with problems, people who encounter um, challenges along life's way that are debilitating. We don't know how to positively engage with people with disabilities. Um, we, are, we are weird and fearful around people mm. who are suffering. Why is that? Jesus was not weird, nor, nor, nor um, I mean, he wasn't weird around people who were suffering. That's, those are the people he seemed to um, invite in, the people that he found himself drawn to. I think about the Gerasene demoniac. I mean, like, right? Jesus, I mean, if you read that passage, Jesus seems to intentionally make his way across that lake for that one encounter, and mm-hmm. then he makes his way back. That's it. He only goes over there to deal with that one guy who's in such yep. profound, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it, nobody else can deal with him. And so they have put him out and put him out and put him out. They have removed the suffering person as far as they can, as if suffering is catching. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think what you just acknowledged is the heart of Jesus's healing ministry and the message of his kingdom, which is that he is always going to those who have been pushed out to the margins of both religion and its communities and our culture, the culture of his time. So when you had weakness, you you it's not just the physical experience of disease or poverty that pushes you to the side. It's the societal um, 
you know, rejection of that person. And Jesus was always going to the people who had been pushed out and bringing them in. Part of the healing was not just the removal of the problem, but restoring them to community. And I think we we like to think that we are not uh, recipients of the health and wealth gospel, that if you you know are in an average evangelical church, that's not what you actually believe. That's the people that are on the crazy TV shows. But really, we we are more informed by a faith that rejects the physical and elevates the mental, the rational than anything. And and I think that's actually more of the root of our uh, discomfort and our lack of understanding of what to do when we personally suffer than, than almost anything. I want to highlight the, uh, the restoration of community aspect of what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, suffering is a very isolated, it doesn't matter what kind of suffering it is. Suffering is a very isolating experience. Um, talk with us about that and, and talk with us um, who are not in the midst of a, of a particular variety of, of suffering that maybe others are enduring. Um, talk with us about how we extend community um, or invite people back into community or restore community for people who are currently isolated by suffering. Mm-hmm. I love that question and I, I love the heart behind it because it is what we who are suffering and those who are not need. Uh, we who are suffering with things that don't go away or last a long time are demoralized by the experience itself. The experience of suffering is exhausting often and and because the church doesn't really have adequate language and resources to name what this experience is like and what to do with it, often those in the church who are suffering suffer silently and experience a sense of absence from God and judgment about who they are uh, simply because they haven't been told a better story. And so those individuals, those families need the presence of Christ's body to remind them that Jesus, they are the one to whom Jesus comes. So, so go to them like Jesus show up. There's nothing more powerful than just showing up and showing up with consistency and openness. And when you do show up to to go to someone's house or, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, go hang out in their backyard, like make, make a point to spend time with people or check in via text. But when that happens, know and expect that there will be an awkwardness and you won't know what to say and they won't know what to say and they might not even want to be seen as they are. And that's okay. There's, I I think there's nothing more, um, powerful than the space where things are awkward and we really don't know what's here and how to navigate it. That is where the holiest, most beautiful love can be formed, I think. So embrace these awkward moments, but show up, go across the lake like Jesus. We need you. 
That's the invitation today um, from K.J. Ramsey to each and every one of us. The book is This Too Shall Last, Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. K.J.'s website uh, is K.J. Ramsey, R-A-M-S-E-Y dot com. You can also follow her across social media at K.J. Ramsey Writes. I encourage you to check out her podcast, her newsletter. K.J., as always, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. We'll be right back. Well, again, thank you for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. I'm Carmen's producer, Paul Perot. She's taking some time off, except, uh, well, she will be joining us on uh, tomorrow night, New Year's Eve night, for a special live stream event. You can find out more about that at MyFaithRadio.com. It'll be on our Facebook as well as our YouTube channels. But all the information there at MyFaithRadio.com about strength for today, hope for tomorrow. That's tomorrow night with Carmen LeBurge and guests, and you, hopefully, as well. I think when you joined Facebook or Twitter or some of these other social media platforms way back when, I mean, it was it was wonderful. Reconnecting with friends, sharing cat videos, stuff like that. You know, really, when social media companies started, the idea they had was to make it easier for us to connect with others, old high school friends and such, build relationships, build understanding. But as we've witnessed, especially in the last several years, Those with agendas have co-opted the platforms and used them to drive their agendas and try to cancel those who disagree with their views. Journalist and thinker Rod Dreher says, well, this isn't exactly new. This has happened in the past, but our technology has made it harder to resist and hold on to truth and reality in our day. Now, earlier this year, he wrote a book or released a book called Live Not By Lies. Earlier this month, he talked to Carmen about his book and We're going to hear that in about five minutes, that conversation here on this Best of Mornings with Carmen on listener-supported Faith Radio. Lose 20 pounds in two weeks. Get cash now. Earn your degree in seven days. Any of these suspicious promises sound familiar? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. We live in a world that wants things fast. Everything's got to be instantaneous. We don't have the time or the patience to wait. Let's be honest, though. While promises like these sound great, they're unrealistic at best. The same is true for making changes at home. If there are deep-rooted issues in your family and a complete 180-degree turnaround is in order, be prepared. There's no quick fix, no instant remedy. Now, don't get me wrong. Change is possible for your family, but real transformation won't come without steady perseverance. Check out the articles, books, and parenting tips from Mark Gregston, available on Facebook and at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Rod Dreher. In, um, in order to dissuade you from one lie you have begun to believe, his name is not pronounced Dreher. It's pronounced Dreher. And, uh, and I have Rod Dreher with me now. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rod Dreher. You can find him online where his blog uh, lives at theamericanconservative.com. Rod, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be here. And I have to tell you, Carmen, I'll answer to anything. Yeah, I know. I but I have I have heard you say your own name, and I figure we should pronounce it as you do. 
<laughs> okay, thank you very much. Absolutely. Okay, I want to start with the title of the book. The title of the book is Live Not By Lies. Um, so let's start uh, with the title. Who, whom are you quoting when you say to Christians today, live not by lies? I'm quoting Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was probably the greatest dissident of the Soviet period. He was thrown out of the Soviet Union in 1974 for being a dissident against communism. And he was a Christian. He wrote famously the Gulag Archipelago, exposing the underworld of the Soviet labor camps. But uh, he also wrote, just before they threw him out in 1974, an essay to his followers in Russia telling them that, look, we can't overturn this totalitarian government, but one thing we can do is refuse to give them the satisfaction of thinking that we agree with them. So he told them, live not by lies. Whenever you see a lie in this country, stand up walk out. Do not allow yourself to be a collaborator with this regime of lies. So that takes some um, moral courage. I mean, I think that one of the one of the things that stands out to me in the book is the requirement of of moral courage. Um, This is a book that is uh, a lot of stories of people whom you came to know after one old woman Uh, made what seemed at the time a pretty crazy declaration. So tell people sort of how this all started for you. And then um, and then I want you to share some of the stories of the people you met along the way. Sure. Uh, I got a call back in 2015 from a doctor in Minnesota. Uh, He said, sir, I've got to tell somebody this. You're a journalist, so I'm going to tell you. My mother, he said, is very old, lives with me and my wife. When she was young, before she came to America, she was born in Czechoslovakia, and she spent four years in a communist prison camp for practicing her Christian faith. She's now telling me and my wife that the things she sees happening in America today remind her of what things were like when the communists first came to power. Well, I thought that was pretty crazy. I thought maybe the old lady is just, she's gotten really old. She watches a lot of cable news and is kind of frightened. But Carmen, I made it my business over the next few years as I would travel around the country, if I would meet somebody who had grown up in the Soviet bloc, I would put the question to them. uh, Does the things that are happening in America now remind you of what you left behind? Every single person said yes. And if you push them further, they'll get really angry that Americans just don't believe them. Americans think it can't happen here. Their message is it absolutely can. Okay, so when you say that, see, when you make that statement, it could happen here. There are just a lot of people who are like, okay, that that guy is just, you know, he's a pepper picker. He's just, um, you know, he's just always looking for the dark clouds and the the ominous threat. Um, You're not the one who sees necessarily the dark clouds and the ominous threat. This book is about reading the signs of the times, um, and it's about the the witness and testimony of other people who can now look back on their own experience and say, um, this is actually very, very similar. Talk about the, um, the cultural realities, the trends um, in pre-Soviet, pre-communist um, communities that are very similar, that are duplicated today. And then we have to talk about the fact that we're not necessarily talking about, you know, being overcome by communism. We're talking about being overcome by soft totalitarianism. I know that's a lot to talk about, Rod, but I know you're prepared to do it. (laughs) Yeah, well, in my book, I talk about what Hannah Arendt, who is one of the great political theorists of the 20th century, what she said in her great study of what happened in Nazi Germany and what happened in Soviet Russia. 
about how totalitarianism took those countries over, two very different kinds of totalitarianism, but still totalitarianism, which is a, a system that control political system that controls all of life. And the main problem, she said, the main factor was mass loneliness and alienation. People who are lonely, who are disconnected, who don't have a connection to a church or to any civic organizations or even to their own history, they're sitting ducks for somebody who comes along and says, I can fix it. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you a sense of meaning and purpose if you just follow me. Uh, another thing that she saw is when people quit believing in truth, when they believe in things that make them feel good and, and actively don't care about truth. We see this all the time in our society. There are other things like that that make you, when you start reading Arendt, who wrote her book in, I think, 1951, and you start realizing, my gosh, this is us. This is when we are a people who prefer ideology to truth now. And it's not just on the left. It's mostly on the left. I wrote a book about the left, but we're seeing this on the right, too. Yeah. So preferring um, ideology to truth, I, I, I was really struck by the way um, that you describe um, how neighbors, right, can turn against one another, um, because they are identified with a particular group, the group um, identification part of this, I think is really critical because I, I just see a lot of that today. It's less about my neighbors and my neighborhood, and it's more about which particular sign um, you might put in your yard or uh, or which particular holiday you might decorate uh, for. So can you just talk about that a little bit, how we have migrated from understanding one another as individuals uniquely created, uh, you know, as image bearers of the living God and very distinct and, and yes, a part of one another because we are intended to be a body or a, or a building of living, um, living bricks. Um, but instead, we have this growing sense of identity that is about being identified with a group of people. That's exactly right. Identity politics are killing us. And this parallels precisely what the Bolsheviks, the revolutionary communists, did in Russia. When they came to power, they said that good and evil is not determined by what an individual says or does, but rather good and evil inheres in groups by virtue of your class status. So I quote in the book something that uh, one of the heads of the secret police in 1918 in post-revolutionary Russia Something he said to his agents who were about to go into the field to carry out Lenin's Red Terror, a campaign of massacre and, and mass imprisonment of any, uh, any opponent of the Bolshevik regime. He said to his agents, don't look at individual people and ask what they've done. Rather, look at their social class and punish the people who are part of the bad social class. That, he said, is the essence of Red Terror. Well, fast forward to where, what we have today where you have ideologies now that pick people out as good or evil on the basis of their race or of their gender identity or even of their politics. And this is what I, where I think that we have a problem also on the right. I'm a conservative, but uh, we feel the same way about people. We, we see people who don't share our politics and suddenly they have horns on their head and they see us the same way too. We are setting ourselves up for something very bad, Carmen. All right. Uh, Rod Dreer and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'll tell you, I have I rarely, rarely read a book 
cover to cover and then go back and underline and highlight and write stuff in the margins and go listen to conversations that the author has had with other people. Um, in preparation for this conversation with Rod Dreher, I've done all of that, and I'm actually um, planning planning to host my own little home group after this. I, uh, I've made my list of people that I want to invite. We're going to talk about seeing, judging, and acting. See, judge, act. We're going to talk about that formula. We're going to talk about um, uh, developing a resistance community or a resistance cell in your own home and in your own community. The book is Live Not By Lies. Rodrier and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with author Rod Dreher, you should follow his blog at The American Conservative. You should follow him on Twitter at Rod Dreher. You can um, download for free uh, the study guide for Live Not By Lies, um, and you can get it at both of those places by contacting him on Twitter or by going to The American Conservative, and it's it's right there as well. Let me just go ahead and say, Rod, the text line is um, is blowing up. I have... I have tilled the soil of my audience's heart for your book um, because these are conversations we have all the time. I, I am frequently pointing out the, um, the delusion that we are being asked to participate in in the culture. I frequently point out the dangers and the realities of a growing surveillance state. Um, we talk about, quote unquote, smart devices, and we talk about social media and all the things that people uh, just voluntarily put out there. That um, that puts them at risk. So those are a couple of conversations I want to have with you now as we consider, continue sort of um, explaining the situation. And then I absolutely want to get to the conversation about what you want to have people do. So um, to talk about the surveillance state, maybe in doing this, tell them the story about the book lined room with the scarred walls. Right. Yeah, I. I think that one reason people can't see this, Americans can't see what's happening, is because our idea of totalitarianism was formed by the Cold War, by Stalinism, by George Orwell's 1984, where the state— made people conform by inflicting pain and terror on them. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is something much smoother and much softer, but it is no less totalitarian. And the main way it's going to take hold, I'm convinced, is through social media and through the internet, like the Chinese social credit system, where you have to have a rating on based on your social media use and your internet use, a rating that allows you to participate in the economy. It's really Mark of the Beast type stuff, and I'm not kidding. I, I was in Prague uh, in the Czech Republic at the home of a family, the Benda family, who were the only Christians in the inner circle of Václav Havel, the leader of the opposition of the dissident uh, movement. And uh, the mother, Camilla Bendova, she's a grandmother now, and she said to me, I don't understand why so many people today are so willing to give their information over to make it public uh, through their smartphones and, and Internet use. She said, if you've lived through what we lived through under communism, you would know that there is no such thing as an innocent uh, collecting of that information. And she pointed to her wall, Carmen, uh, where there were scars up the wall in the paint where she and her husband, her late husband, had pulled the wires out of the wall after the fall of communism. They pulled the wires that the secret police had put in there to spy on their family. She said to me, this is happening right now over the uh, over smartphones and over the Internet, and nobody cares about it. 
Right. And we've invited it into our homes through um, devices that, you know, that we speak to and we say, you know, Alexa, order my groceries or um, refrigerator. Look and see what I need to put on my grocery list and then, you know, call Kroger and have it set up my quick list. Like, right. All of the ways in which we um, invite it into our homes through um, through through devices. Uh, It's just it is extraordinary. The smartphone is not very smart. It actually just demonstrates how dumb we are. Yeah, well said. And uh, this is how, as I said earlier, in China, they collect data all the time and they use it to to give everybody a rating. Right here in America, our major corporations collect this data right now completely legally. You know, this is nothing being done secretly. They're doing it right out in the open. And we don't care because we think that we're innocent. We haven't done anything wrong. Well, as Camilla Bendova told me, it doesn't matter whether you're innocent. If they want to blame you for something and prosecute you for something, they'll take the information you've given them and they'll come up with a reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, um, the second half of the book sets out, uh, you know, this model, this hope um, of how we might come together and build resistance cells like the Christians did in Slovakia in the 1940s. Tell us um, a little bit about what it looked like then and what do you envision for us today? Yeah, this is a fantastic story. I didn't even know about this man until I went over there to interview Christians who had resisted. I dedicate the book to a man named Father Tomislav Kolakovic. He uh, was a Croatian priest who was doing anti-Nazi work in Zagreb, Croatia, in the 1940s, 1943. He found out that the Gestapo was coming for him, so he sneaked out of the country to Slovakia, his mother's homeland, and began teaching at a Catholic university there. When he got there in 43, he told his students, he said, the good news is the Germans are going to lose this war, but the bad news is the Soviets are going to be ruling this country when it's over, and the first thing they're going to do is come after the church. We have to get ready. So what he did was form small cells for prayer and study, and uh, one of the things they would do, these students who would come together— is uh, after they prayed, they would try to analyze what was happening in the culture around them uh, based on what they knew to be true from their faith. And what they, after they would analyze it, they would see the, the, the uh, formula was called see, judge, act. They would see, in other words, gather information about what was happening. They would judge, that is to discern it in conversation. And then they would decide what they were going to do in light of what they've decided. These cells spread all across the country of Slovakia. Every town of any size had one. The bishops, the Catholic bishops of that country, told him he was being alarmist. But Father Kolakovic had studied the communist mindset because he was preparing for missionary work in the Soviet Union. So sure enough, Carmen, when the Iron Curtain fell over Czechoslovakia, they kicked him out. And the first thing the government did was persecute the church, was like arrest priests, shut down churches and so forth. Father Kolakovich's underground network became the backbone of the underground church and the only significant resistance to communism for the next 40 years. I dedicate the book to him because I believe that we are in a Kolakovich moment here in America now, and we Christians have got to use the liberty that we still have to prepare ourselves and our churches and build networks of resistance for the persecution I believe is going to come. Rod Dreer is the author. You should follow him on Twitter at Rod Dreer. You should um, follow his blog at the American Conservative. The book is Live Not by Lies. You can download the study guide um, at the American Conservative or by contacting Rod. Um, Rod, uh, I read headlines just today. Microsoft has patented software uh, to watch its employees as they work. Facebook is ranking hate speech, prioritizing speech against 
uh, particular groups and deprioritizing hate speech against other groups. Um, we have the ongoing pronoun um, pervasive proliferation of like preferred pronoun in higher ed and corporations. We got controversies about whether or not, um, you know, if you say that on my NFL cleats, I, I want to choose a Christian phrase instead of uh, advocacy for LGBTQs, um, then, you know, you, you're going to be canceled. Um, and in Minneapolis, we've got a neighborhood under, under duress because some people think that putting up Christmas lights Putting up Christmas lights is systematic, uh, systemic violence against their neighbors who don't celebrate Christmas. Um, I, just on and on and on and on and on. I was amazed um, in reading your book and in reading the headlines on the other hand, um, how timely this is, how much Christians need to be prepared, and how well you do in laying out exactly um, how, how we should do that. So, Rod Dreher, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, and Merry Christmas to you. And I'm afraid that this is a conversation, uh, Carmen, that we're going to be having a lot over the next few years. So I'm glad to be in the trenches with you, my friend. You are welcome anytime. This is a Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. This week, enjoying some of the best conversations Carmen had during 2020. And more coming up in just a bit. Remember, though, tomorrow night... The special Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow live stream event with Carmen on Faith Radio's Facebook and YouTube channel. She and her guests will help you pray out the old year and pray in the new. Starts at 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern for about two hours. Hope you join us. All the information about the Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow live stream event, you can find it at MyFaithRadio.com. Now, Carmen will be back on Monday with more great conversations on morning with Mornings with Carmen, something she's able to do because of you and your financial support. Mornings with Carmen and Faith Radio is listener-supported. So as we're here in the final couple of days of 2020, you're looking at making special year-end gifts to various ministries. Would you consider one of those gifts being to Faith Radio? You can make the gift again at MyFaithRadio.com. I did see other organizations in the news like Salvation Army. Bell ringing campaign didn't go that well. Make sure you send money to organizations like Salvation Army and help out because the need is great. Well, next hour, a couple of best of conversations from 2020, a couple more, that is. First up, what can a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction teach us not only of the reasons for, but the beauty of God's design of male-female marriage? Turns out, a whole lot. Don't believe me? An amazing conversation with Lori and Matt Krieg is up next as Mornings with Carmen continues in about five minutes here on listener-supported Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.